You're listening to... What's the name of this show? Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Wrestling Source Radio. Brett screwed Brett. This is Hold one. Arm drag. I did it for The Rock. Bishop, you turn the camera off and I'll be naked when you come back. Yahtzee. You're welcome. Go ahead, one, two, three, count the Wrestling Souls Radio. My next guest, uh, he's had many titles, pub manager, music manager, uh, most notably uh, the Divinals from uh, 1987 to 1994, music and festival promoter, most notable uh, bands that have come out to Australia being Aerosmith, Kiss, Fleetwood Mac, and wrestling promoter. It's a very big welcome to Andrew McManus. Hello, mate. How are you? Very, very well. Um, I guess currently you're the CEO of uh, One World Entertainment. Uh, a staple for you guys is under the Southern Stars. Uh, we would have seen the likes of Bush uh, live, the Stone Temple Pilots. They would have been coming out to Australia. But uh, that had to get cancelled due to COVID-19. I guess how has it affected you directly and I guess the entertainment industry as a whole? Well, it's not cancelled, actually. It's only rescheduled. Um, and thankfully, um, we sort of got wind of what was happening a little earlier than most. And I was, I was actually in London and I started working on the rescheduling probably a month prior to anyone else's circumstances. And the way it unfolded for me was that, and it's just interesting the way the cards laid, um, because you know, no one knew it was going to be as bad as what it is right now when we first started looking at rescheduling. And Bush had tours on in October live had commitments in america in november so the first time that i could get all three bands from live bush and stone to palace to all coordinate their three schedules was february march so hence that's what i then started planning and then i started putting together the uh, tour in the same format that we had you know for last april april just gone uh, as a plan for february march and whether it be good hindsight, luck, or the universe just watching out, um, it looks like we potentially will be the first festival out of the blocks once international airports open and once the uh, the world sort of sees common distancing and things like that as not as, bi- as, as big a crisis as what it is as we're currently living right now. So we've got a lot of water to go under the bridge. And in essence... Um, then the world has got to you know, have a comfort factor. So <clears throat> we're hoping that by uh, December, international airports are started considered to be opened. <clears throat> and then in uh, essence, that flows on. Um, Americans, which are you know, probably at this point in time looked upon as, as, as high risk uh, because of their, their situation and, and how it's being managed over there, um, but we've got a, we've got an answer to that, which we're going to put to the government in the next couple of weeks. <clears throat> and if all things go well, we'll be the test case festival. And then uh, everyone, including Central Coast, where you are, uh, will get to see Live, Bush, Don't Do a Pilots, Rose Tattoo and Electric Mary. So I've kept all the bands together. That's great to hear. Hopefully that does uh, go ahead. Is there a bit of a fear, like, I guess, you know, the second cases or the second coming of a COVID-19? I mean, from now on, is there kind of a different procedure that you will go in organising events like this? 
Well, I think we've got to, we've got to get through, and I've got a plan um, without going into too much detail right now because it's a plan I want to put to government, mm-hmm. and I want yeah at that point in time, if this comes to fruition, um, as I said, will be sort of the test case festival, which will be it'll be different, and it, like in some in some part of the entailment will be a fifteen thousand capacity will only be now capped at nine. So even though it's a green field and it's ex, it's outdoors, we'll put um, certain levels of distancing forced upon uh, the actual crowd capacity. Um, the bars will be run differently with certain ways to get in and out of them. There'll be a COVID, my, my, my idea is to have a COVID-19 testing, even though by February it'll be par or hopefully passed, there'll still be a, an ability to test there. And certain other procedures and protocols that I want to put in place that I think is common sense, which will put the industry on the front foot, which will then show what the new normal be of a, of a music festival. Yeah, I'm hearing that word a lot, uh, the new normal. Uh, I don't think we'll sort of really get back to what was normal. There'll be a, a new normal moving forward. Uh, in time, uh, I, th- I think, and again, this is now, this is just my opinion, but I think where we are in a little bit of a sort of a, a, a better position to, to, to be the first ones is because my crowds are more mature age, 35 plus, um, which is hopefully has got a more common sense attitude and, and, and direction towards the actual excitement of being the first festival. Whereas I think if it was a splendor, or not so much a splendor, but maybe a beyond the valley or some younger kids type, uh, it'd be much, much more difficult to contain and manage and get the, the, the actual patrons to follow the rule that you're going to try to set. And I think that would backfire in everyone's face. So hopefully um, things go the way I'm, I'm planning and hopefully things go the way from a common sense point of view within government circles. And that, um, yeah, come February, we'll be able to open our gates to anywhere between nine and 10,000 people per festival, keeping in mind the actual capacities should be 15 to 20. But, you know, so, so we'll, we'll control the distancing within the festival itself. Great. So hopefully uh, that all goes ahead. Uh, I want to see if you can jump back into a time machine with us, uh, Andrew. March 26, 2001, that's when uh, TNT, they aired their last episode of WCW Monday Nitro, obviously purchased by then WWF and Vince McMahon. Uh, People say from the ashes uh, of WCW comes WWA, which you founded probably a mere few months later. Mm -hmm. How does an Australian concert promoter get into the world of professional wrestling? Um, I always loved wrestling, and and um, from the days when I was going to school, you know the Killer Carl Coxes, the you know Spiros Arions, and all those guys, um, and I sort of grew up on that on Sunday, you know wrestling with you know uh, with you know, Mike Coote and it was uh, Mike Cleary, I mean, and it was um, and Father John Coote and all, all these great people that you know sort of um, blazoned the way uh, for you know black and white. Channel 9 wrestling on a Sunday in our day. And I was actually, it was, um, I remember it quite well. I was, it was Palm Springs, it was Thanksgiving. And I was over at my buddy's house um, or a holiday house, uh, Doc McGee, who manages Kiss. And it came up on the news that uh, Ted Turner was going to fold WCW. Um, and over a few shandies, I suggested that we should uh, get on to Ted because I knew Doc knew him and see what he wanted to sell his roster. And basically for $1, I bought all the contracts. For $1, that's a, that's a bargain. Yeah, but the, 
I then had to meet all the obligations thereafter. So, <laughs> you know, I don't know if it was a bargain or not, but we had a lot of fun with it. And I guess WCW, they did a tour in the year prior in the year 2000. Uh, were you sort of in connection with anyone organising that or heard about that? No, no. I, I started, um, I met with Jeremy Borash and Jeff Jarrett in those early days. And um, that's sort of that friendship because I, I was, I've got a, I got a, an abode in Nashville and those guys live in Nashville and Doc was living in Nashville. So we sort of had this friendship and uh, with their tuition and their guide guiding and Jeremy's writing and we had, a, you know, then incorporated other people along the way is basically how WWA formed and a collective brains trust in those days was, hey, WWF in those days wasn't going into the UK, yet they had a huge television audience. WCW had a huge television audience, but no one was really going into that market. So we ended up doing four tours, and it was more so um, on the back of the strength of the superstars' names, you know, Sting, Lex Luger's. Yeah, there was some great guys, you know, and, you know, some scallywags I met along the way. You know, Mr. Perfect, he, he, was, he was a classic, very funny man. And, you know, the, we, I've created some lifelong friendships out of it. Uh, hopefully you can uh, speak a little bit more about the scallywags a little bit uh, later on. But I guess from a business standpoint, you kind of touched on it there. WWF wasn't going into the uh, UK, Europe and Australia. Was was that a necess- the, the business model would to be a, a touring company and to go into places where the WWF wasn't going? Was it ever considered like to get TV, whether it be New Zealand, Australia or over in Europe? Um, the television, well, look, if that ever came, that would have been wonderful. But I did a deal um, out of Los Angeles with a pay-per-view company. Um, and so every time we toured, we did one pay-per-view. So we did one out of Wembley. We did one out of uh, Vegas. That was a fun one. Um, we brought it down to, to New Zealand one, and, and, and that's where Sting won the title. Um, out of Auckland, um, we did one out of Sydney Superdome. So each tour, we would have to do, or we'd anchor it around a reason, and we'd start basically the story. So it might be 15 events, um, doing Dublin, doing Switzerland, doing uh, Newcastle, Sheffield, Scotland, whatever. And we did. We finished one in Glasgow, which was a spectacular one. When we funded that, but no, we um, the fact that WCW under Ted Turner, who had a television network, folded, that proved how difficult it is to keep that a brand up on TV. Because I guess the the wrestling model, I guess you can say, is you, you have a regular TV to promote your house shows, but I guess this was kind of the opposite. You're all sort of doing pay-per-views and then house shows. I guess we've no sort of regular TV to promote it. You had to, I guess, rely on different ways to promote your show. We were relying on talent, the talent and the roster and the, the poster that said, you know, you're going to be seeing, you know, uh, Grandmaster Sex A, you're going to be seeing Scott Steiner, mm-hmm. you're going to be seeing all these guys live you know in your stadium um and that's what we relied relied upon very much so and you know the storyline was was made up as we went so you know it it wasn't like you had a tv formula where you could write a four or five month plan to get to wrestlemania and have a heel and have a baby face and all the rest of it we didn't have that uh luxury so we had to do it sort of into a very short model, short mode of potentially four weeks. 
and then get to where we ended up being, um, you know, at the, at the pay-per-view. You know, touring Europe, uh, Australia, New Zealand, do you think um, you obviously said like that was due to the WWF not going to those sort of markets uh, back then. Do you think it was a mistake to sort of eventually go into the US market? Possibly looking back at it now because it really pissed Vince off. Um, and on the way, I remember on the way, Randy Savage is going to be my headliner. And Vince offered him three times as much money for him to turn around and go back. Right. That was when I'd realised I'd tickled the belly of the of the gorilla. <laughs> like the 500, you know, the 500 pound gorilla versus the 20 pound monkey. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, it was it was it was a real you know, eye opener to what we had done and annoyed, you know, annoyed, awakened the giant, so to speak. Um, and then he then made sure that he started taking WWF into the UK to squash us, which was sort of the end end of our, you know. But we had three great years at it. And as I said, three great years of building enormous friendships and stories that, you know, I'll take them a grave with these guys, you know. And I guess according to reports um, online, uh, you can take it with a grain of salt. Um, you initially, were you in contact with former WWE writer, WCW writer Vince Russo uh, in, in to organise the wrestling side of things? Um, early doors, yeah. yeah Vince, Vince and I had several meetings when I was in LA and then he got, I think he got snapped up as well by WWF. Mm. But yeah, I was, yeah. And what were those initial negotiations like? What was your take from Vince Russo, the person? Oh, maybe we got on well. Look, and because in the early days when I first, he was still a name, um, but his 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 um, his light dwindled very quickly, you know, after not being on TV. And I think um, from all reports, and I never got to work with him, you know, in the wrestling world, he had a great wrestling brain, but you know, he also had annoyed quite a bit of my roster, and there was there was some angst when I started mentioning to some of them that I was bringing him on. Mm. So <clears throat> it was like a penny. It was you know, one of those things that just happened. It didn't happen, and it actually was probably best it didn't. And that's when Jeremy Borash stepped up and took over the main writing. And writing. he he suggested Jeremy. Is that correct? Um, no, Jeremy and I had already met in Sydney on doing an event. Um, I'm just trying to think because I'm trying to remember my what we called it international wrestling. And Jeff won the title, and, and Rove McManus was my co um, uh, namesake, but um, co commentator. And that was at the Superdome. That was when we met Jeremy. And he, Jeremy, and, and Jeff and I sort of hit it off. And that's when we worked, you know, when, when the WCW idea came up, um, they were the first guys I reached out to. Was there any other, uh, I guess, people that you were looking to get in contact with that could potentially fill that role? Or it was just uh, worked out well that Jeremy Borash and you, you and Jeff Jarrett sort of had that connection prior? No, that was it. I, there was, yeah, again, I, I was going into a world that I didn't really know a lot about other than I saw it in those days in the WWF, you know, market. And, and it proved it. We, when we went in that first trip, we, we broke the house record at the point in Dublin. Um, we ran third in all-time merchandise sales behind Metallica um, and Garth Brooks. And this is for a little unknown wrestling company. Mm. Um, but the, the Irish just love their wrestling, and it, and it would prove, you know, our 
belief that if I took these names to the UK, it would work. Um, and um, it became sort of a family, and it became even the 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 rest of it. The wrestlers would get in on the matches and they would help ride it. And so it wasn't only Jeremy and Jeff, but it was mainly, they were the main two. I stayed out of that. Yeah, in, in the latter part, I, I'd have an opinion or a comment, but I pretty much stayed out of it and let the guys who knew what they were doing do it. I mean, you look at the roster, some big names that came through, WWA. I mean, Jeff Jarrett, uh, Scott Steiner, Sting, Buff Bagwell, Eddie Guerrero, and AJ Styles, who's obviously a big name with WWE now. Uh, the list goes on. You sort of touched on Jeremy Borash handling the wrestling side of things. But, I mean, was there any talent uh, that, uh, you know, tried to hold you up for uh, money or any issues with any particular talents? No, no. We, you know, it, got, it was actually got quite fun because <clears throat> I remember – after the pay-per-view in Glasgow, um, Nathan um, Jones, who was a big Australian boy, um, and he always wanted to be a wrestler and he would be an actor anyway, he was in our headlining match and he was brutal. He just didn't know how to pull up. And, um, and I remember him sitting him down because um, he, he came up the after, after the event and he said, oh, I've been offered a contract with the WWF. So we sort of got on the phone. I got on the phone. I can't remember the guys' names back there, but they were, um, they were, they were good guys. Um, and we ended up doing a swap. Like it was like a football, t- you know, two football teams. So I traded Nathan for um, the Godfather, Perry Satin, and Gangrel or something. It was like three guys I got. Yeah. And I them Nathan. <laughs> That's a pretty good deal, I think. Yeah, and it, and, it, and it was just like fun, and that was when I started. And all those type of moments were just great fun, you know. <clears throat> and I ended up getting those guys across, and they ended up being good guys, and we had fun. And you know, they, they were at the you know twilight of their careers, uh, but respective, um, you know, half of my guys were, so it didn't matter. Yeah. And you mentioned the Macho Man uh, incident. Uh, he was scheduled to, I think, take on Jeff Jarrett uh, for the WWA title, um, but so. Is it confirmed that uh, Vince McMahon paid him double the amount of money to basically no show the event? Yep. yep. Oh, it, was, it may not have been Vince himself. But someone. How much? Randy said to me it was Vince who rang him. For real? Wow. So I'd, I'd take that on, you know, for, for what he said. Yeah. Um, and he, I remember him ringing me and I was, just, I was devastated. He goes, I just got a call from Vince and he's offered me double and, you know, I've got a family and, you know, I'm not, I'm at, I'm at a contract and he's, Offering me potential, you know, come back onto, you know, into the company. Um, I've got to turn around. You know, and mate, at the end of the day, you got to do what you got to do. Because um, you know, I had a contract with him, but you know, if he was turning around, wasn't coming. He was turning around, not coming. So there's no point, you know. Far out. And I guess uh, there's been lots of stories about Randy Savage sort of living the gimmick. Was he was he macho man Randy Savage when you're talking to him, or was he? Uh... Yeah, I, I went down. To, I went down to Florida a couple of times to meet with him, and he had this um, Viper motor car, and it was exactly what you expect Randy Savage to drive. This muscle car, and it was, yeah. and he was very much the you know in character the whole time, and the voice always got me. You know, it was, <laughs> it was so deep. Yeah. Uh, I guess another online um, report uh, which you can uh, dismiss or confirm, apparently um, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, they were on board to come to WWA, but reports that Kevin Nash became weary of Andrew McManus. Is that just, uh, I guess, a rumour, but they signed a WWE deal instead? Or um, Well, I was, I was 
Well, it was Scott Steiner and Jeff Jarrett. Well, I don't know. I've never heard that one. He was weary of me. Um, but I do remember we were on a train, I think, traveling from Zurich back to London. And Jeff and I are at the back of the train and we're on the phone to him and he confirmed he was coming across. Um, and then about a week later, Jeff rang me. He's gone, he's gone to WWE. You know, again, it was a bit like, it was a little bit much like the, um, uh, what you call um, uh, anything we were trying to do and WWF found out about it, they were squashing it. Because, mm. I mean, they would obviously go on to reform the NWO, and I, I mm. remember sort of back around that time and thinking, oh, great, the N- you know, reforming the NWO, probably one of the uh, best sort of groups, you know, of the Attitude Era next to DX, but they didn't really do much with them. Do you, so do you think, uh, I mean, you know, little WWA doing what you guys are doing, but they'll just try to poke holes in everything as much as possible just for the sake of it? I'd like to... I'd like to say yes, and I, I that's my opinion. But then, if you spoke to them, they probably wouldn't know who, the, who we are. You know, yeah, <laughs> we were. Um, but we we're on their radar and and things like that. And I guess also, if I was Kevin, I'd have been flouting something an offer like from us and underneath Vince's nose, going, "Oh, just before I go and sign this, just letting you know, knowing the man that Vince is, he'd go nowhere in the world. I'll you know, I'll fix you know." Especially now, and especially the the story out there about the, the Randy scenario saga. So um, I'd pretty well, you know, without you know putting my uh, you know, house on it, think that you know once WWF got wind of anything we were doing, they would they were trying to stop it. If if it was if it was talent that was valuable or there was any value to it. And that's I guess days, AJ Styles was ours. Hmm. He made a name for himself yet, and that's why he was with us on every tour. One of the more notable uh, roster of all guys on the roster, and he didn't even wrestle, was uh, Bret Hart. He was the on-air commissioner for uh, WWA. Um, what was it like dealing with Bret Hart? Hey, lovely bloke. It was funny. I was in London just recently, and Ed Bicknell, who used to manage Dire Straits, and uh, we met in the... Um, um, foyer of the hotel getting into the, the big music conference and he didn't know me for the Divinals manager or console promoter he knew me as Bret Hart's friend it's <laughs> pretty good and that was that was his you know he goes, yeah, no, Brett spoke about you you know it was like oh cool you know yeah no and Brett was a lovely man and because I my biggest memory would be seeing Bret Hart on uh, Rove Live and then Obviously, the very next day, 9/11 happened, and he was—he sort of said uh, at the first pay-per-view he was a little bit stranded in Australia during that time. Did that uh, cause any issues or stifle the first pay-per-view or the tour? 9/11. Um, oh, look, well, I remember it well. I know the guys. I was—I remember it was Road Dog and Brett and Buff were all in my room watching it. Yeah, they were just terrified. These are big, strong men absolutely shaken in their shoes, terrified, wondering, you know, what was going on, you know. Yeah. Um, and we watched it together, and I remember, you know, I remember as, as, as plain as any. And, look, it changed the world. It's not unlike what's happening with us today, you know. Um, and and did it stifle the pay-per-view? No. It, it, you know, we, we, you know, formatted things a little differently. Um, I, I must admit, I, if I had my time again, I wish um, – I just try to remember his name now, our Arab wrestler. Um, 
he came out and then he had wore the American flag on his head and threw it on the. This was in Vegas, and the next thing I had about fifteen Marines going to beat the shit out of us. Uh, for real. They took it as they, they, you know, which you know, they took it to heart and they had all entitlement to. Yeah. It was. It was that was pretty hairy. And I guess with Brett, um, he was obviously just the on-air commissioner, but was there any talks that he would try to return to the ring or he'd been medically kind of retired at that point? He, it was all, there was a guarantee we had to give him, and he gave us that he would never wrestle. He yeah. had a fusion in his neck, and it only needed one bump, and he was, a paral- he was, he was paralyzed for the rest yeah. of the So we would, I would never um, you know, put it to him, uh, even, you know, even, the, even if he got... Yeah, one night excited would no Brett, there's no chance. Yeah, and I guess you know, you can't talk exact figures and that, but would you say someone like a Bret Hart, he was um, I wouldn't say a bargain, but value for money. Well, he got paid, you know, to, for what he did. You know, it wasn't so much. You know, was he highest paid? No, you know, um, there was more. You know, the, but the guys that were in the ring actually, you know, doing the dirty work were paid much more. But Brett also realised, you know, he's no fool. He he realised his currency as being Brett Hitman Hart to a fledgling young company. So um, yeah, no, it was, but it, it was, you know, value. And I uh, mentioned Rove Live there, Rove McManus. Is there is there a relation there? Ah, uh, look, we call ourselves second cousins, and we giggle about that. Um, he's from Perth. I've got McManuses over in Perth. We've never really done the tree thing. Um, but I was, I was getting on a plane in LA once and I checked in and um, the, the lady Qantas said, oh, do you want to, you John? I said, no, 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 I'm not John, I'm Andrew. She goes, oh, and then she said, oh, do you want to sit next to John? And I didn't twig. I go, no, I don't want to sit next, no way. And then when I was getting on the plane, he was already sat down. I hear this, hey, cuz, you don't want to sit with me. I went, oh, shit. I forgot, I forgot John's his real name, you know. And so he's a big wrestling fan. So was it an easy sell to sort of get on TV for him, or was there much negotiating there, or he was all for it? Oh, no, he was all for it, and we put him in as the first, very, very first pay per view. Uh, I think it was International Wrestling something or other, I can't remember. We called it, yeah, you know, it was just a makeup, you know, badge. Um, and um, I think uh, Jeff actually hit him over the head with the guitar. His mm. guitar that was at the Superdome. And he loved it. He, you know, he 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 milked it for all it was worth. And nah. he's also a major Kiss fan. He comes to comes to my Kiss shows and gets made up in the Kiss makeup. And you know, he's a great guy. And obviously, uh, Jeff Jarrett, uh, Jeremy Borash, sort of during this time, they were going to form NWA, TNA, or um, TNA as or Impact Wrestling as we know it now. There was a working relationship there. Um, I mean, we saw a lot of the TNA stars like Kazarian, AJ Styles, uh, I think Christopher Daniels, heaps of them on some of these tours with WWA. While it's a working relationship, did it kind of seem there was a bit more, I guess, take than give, or it just was one of those situations that was what it was? I think your timing's out there. I finished, they were with me with WWA. Yeah. And um, the vinyls and a couple of other things in my real world, let's say that, started kicking. And we we're getting a belting from Vince in the UK, so I wanted out. I wanted out, and I gave them the WWA roster. Right. They then went and um, they found I think the name's Dixie, who um, had some Texas oil coin, and they started TNA. Okay. It, it grew off WWA. 
Yeah, great, because, I mean, that was kind of the transition, I mean, I guess, from WCW, you had WWA, and then uh, TNA. And so, I guess, what was the decision where you sort of wanted to wash your hands of professional wrestling? Was there a particular moment, or it just became too much? Um, it was Chrissy from the Divinals basically put a foot down, you know, manage those, because that was, we knew we had hits, yeah. hits there. Um, and also, I had... Um, I saw the writing on the wall with what was happening in the UK and it was becoming more and more difficult. Um, and even, you know, the, look, things were happening behind the scenes with the venues where they weren't even taking our bookings to a degree. Mm. It was offering him 10 dates or, or a huge, you know, stadium. On, um, and um, so it was just life. Was, and I thought, well, do I need this in my life? Because it's, it's not my core business. It's not my core, you know, um, where I saw myself in 10 years, where it's Jeremy and Jeff's world, that's their blood. My blood's music, their blood's wrestling. It was just something I, and I'm not going to say took it on as a novelty um, because it was, um, it, was, it, was, it was a business. Um, but at the end of the day, it was very easy for me to let it go and just let the guys have it. Because I guess, yeah, that last pay-per-view um, uh, at The Reckoning, that's where they unified the WWE titles and the and, um, NWA TNA titles, and I guess that was the, the, the last show. So there yeah. wasn't sort of any emotional farewell to it. You were pretty happy just to move on. Uh, look, I, I'm just disappointed. I couldn't make it. I can't remember where I was, but, you know, they, they invited me there, and it was sort of the passing of the torch type of thing. Um, and I sent them the belts and everything um, that we had. And, um, yeah, no, nah, nah, dog, Jeremy and I, it's funny, I spoke to Jeremy about oh, three days ago. Um, he's gone full circle, left Nashville. Now he's back down in, in Orlando working for WWE. WWE. Was it true that uh, was Jeremy uh, living in Australia uh, in the first few months or years of yeah. WWE? He stayed in my house at Burley, yeah. And it, was he, how did he adapt to the, the Australian culture, I guess you could say? Oh, but he's just such a character and he's such a beautiful guy. Um, and he adapted it to it as much as it, it, it adapted to him. Yeah. I used to call him Radish. He was just like this cheeky little brat. Yeah. Radish. Uh, and I guess sort of more recently with news involving WWA, 2017, uh, you sold it to Wade Brewer. Was there, um, I mean, you held, held it for so many years, I guess, that brand. Was there a reasoning for selling it then or? No, no reason. He just, he approached me, uh, made me an offer and it was just sitting in the drawer. And I went, buddy, you know, make me an offer. And he did. And I went, okay, done. From 2003 to 2017, was there any, I guess, inkling or desire to sort of start it back up? Maybe not on such a big scale, but as a more independent small thing? No, no not at all. No. Not, from my, not from my point of view. And I saw, because I stay in touch with Jeremy and, and Jeff, and I saw how hard they struggled and how difficult it was for them to try to do TNA. Mm. Um, and TNT or all the, you know, all the other brandings, they impact and, you know, it was not an easy day for them. Yeah, they, they struggled. And I guess having those guys, because I know, uh, I'm pretty sure Jeff Jarrett, he's a producer slash agent, as is uh, Jeremy. Is there uh, any uh, collaboration, I guess, when Australia or the WWE does Australian tours to get you on board to help out with that? No, no, Dainty signed a contract with the WWE some time back um, as their promoter, and that pretty well shuts the door on me because there's no, there's, there's no, um, let's just say, love amongst the promoters and helping each other out here. Mm -hmm. here. 
unless it's crisis, you know. Absolutely. Okay. I guess um, you're talking about sort of funny stories or, you know, stuff that you'll potentially go to the grave with. Is there any funny stories that you could tell about the experience, I guess, from 2001 to 2003? Well, if you had hours, I could, yeah. <laughs> any that uh, come to mind uh, straight away that uh, you can say on air? Yeah, I, rem- I remember one of the funny ones. We, were, we had these two coaches and um, Jeff was um i'm captain captain on one i was team captain on the other and uh, one of the conquistador you know macho libre style mexican wrestlers we had on anyway and he couldn't couldn't speak much english and we pulled under this bus you know, coach stop and i said jeff you got everyone on board yours head count yep i went i'm sweet so we took off and about half an hour down the road there's these two girls in this like mini minor Oh, not mini mine, MG rooftop. This mad Mexican waving out. Because <laughs> we left him. Because we left him. And, he, and then somehow he made conversation with them that he was a wrestler. The two coaches had left him and he needed a ride. And that was, you know. So then we finally got to another down the road. And it was, I think it was an off day. So we ended up um, pulling into this tavern. And the two buses were in the car park. And we went inside, and next thing you know, I think it was Grandmaster Sexay's come out with like his tray of about 50 shots. Oh, wow. So we're all having shots and all having a great old time. And then um, it was um, Booker's, Booker T's partner. Um, Stevie Ray. Stevie Ray. So Stevie Ray, was, he used to be play college football. Grandmaster Sexay used to play college football. So they were, they were having this, you know, drunken, you know, who's the fastest. So we all went out to the car park, and... I'm the, you know, adjudicator. I just said, go. Anyway, so they run down the the, um, the car park to 100 metres. Stevie Ray's hammy's gone. Grandmaster can't stop, and he's run straight in the front of the coach. <laughs> caved in, in the whole front of it because it's, it's his barrel of muscle and literally caved in the whole front, smashed the window, and thankfully it wasn't our coach. <laughs> and uh, Grandmaster Sexy there, the son of uh, Jerry the King Lawler, who was with the uh, company for a short period of time, what was the King like to deal with? Um, well, if you read in some of some of his books, um, he's, men- he's made mentions of me, and which weren't, weren't as, 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 as polite as what I thought they could have been. Mm. Uh, but I'm not going to diss him. I, I, I found him to be quite easy to get along with and, you know, he, um, I think he thought he lived with the, the crown on his head inside and outside of the, you know, the arena. Uh, but he was fine. He was and fine. I guess Grandmaster Sexy, he was um, sadly passed on, Brian Christopher. But I have to say, I think it was 2003, one of my biggest memories was him, Scott Steiner, I think Medasia on the uh, NRL footy show. Yeah. Uh, and Paul Vorton, he's, uh, I think he's done it a few times with some wrestlers that's come over. He's uh, mispronounced names or that, but um, a bit of a bit of an awkward kind of segment with, uh, you know, dead or alive or whatever that obviously cult, uh, you know, the, the main part of it, I guess, was Scott Steiner picking him up over his head and throwing him over uh, the set. Well, that was all organised. Yeah, yeah and, and I guess it, they were pretty uh, fun and easy to deal with with that. Oh, yeah. That, that was great. I like Scotty. I remember being in Vegas. It was funny. We, we did the, um, the sort of run through. And Puppet and Tio were supposedly going to um, have their match. And they did the whole thumbtack thing. And then Scotty was going to come down and grab Puppet and throw him into the fifth row. And we had the, you know, the fifth row ready to go. Of course, then the live event happens. Scotty's all pumped up and he's had a couple of his protein shakes and he runs down, he grabs Puppet and he's hurled him 
And these poor guys in the row five just watched him go over the top and was taken out row ten. Because <laughs> wrestle, you know, pup and midget. Because he's a um, he's a polarizing figure, Scott Steiner. And I know um, uh, the the latest one of the latest Vice episodes with Dark Side of the Ring with David Schultz and uh, uh, the reporter, you know, calling it fake and sort of slapping him around. Um, I thought um, you know Scott Steiner would sort of be of the old school mentality sometimes, but he obviously was pretty easy to work with in that regard. Oh, definitely. And like he 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 could be gruff, but he also had a heart of gold. And he also he called it the business. I got yeah. it. It's all the business. <laughs> and that was that was it was all about the business, you know. And yeah, I loved him. He was a you know, great man. Brother Rick, he was he was soft, soft. He was more mobile. Uh, but Scotty yeah, he had the power, you know. And I guess um do you sort of stay uh, in tune with what's happening with WWE or any sort of wrestling or you sort of dropped off a bit? Uh, I don't really because I've got so many other things going on with the music festivals and everything else in my world. Occasionally I'll catch a roar or something on TV. And um, I must admit I watched it we come on, I, I, was, I was sort of mesmerized by it the other night. It was I just somehow clicked over it and with no crowd. And it's yeah. so dead, you know. It's so bizarre watching an event like wrestling to have no crowd. It really does sort of say, I guess, the crowd is kind of like the, you know, the uh, they're as much as the participant as the the competitors. It is. It 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 is the show. It just shows you how much. And again, now without the crowd, you don't need the big lights and the the you know um, pyrotechnics and the video and all the rest of it. So it, it was just I was, I was a bit gobsmacked and it was it saddened me a little bit to be honest with you. Where, you know, because I know how hard the guys work, and they run off the crowd. Mm. And that's and that it was as I said when Scotty. The difference between Scotty at rehearsal and Scotty when the crowd, the arena was full, was the two different guys. You know, and he you'd see. You know, it was and um, yeah, they they run off it, and it's it's uh, must be so much harder for them. I guess you could say Australia has a few sort of hotbeds, uh, especially in Sydney and Melbourne with the independent scene. Obviously, they're sort of big within, I guess you could call them territories. Um, could you could something like a WWA or a, could wrestling become as big as it was in the early 2000s again? Do you sort of see that ever coming on the radar or it's so impossible with the big companies over in the States? Difficult for me to answer that because I don't track the ratings anymore. Mm. I really follow... Um, you know, you, you got. I suppose you look at the, 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 the Vince's share price, and it's still up there. So he's a genius at being able to keep that alive and as strong from endorsements and advertisers and whatever for as long as he has. And it's and it's in his writings and the, the market and the the uh, camps and the you know the educations of the younger guys coming through. Um, and it's, you know, it's a university of, of, of knowledge now. Um, to say that could happen here, I would, look, again, I, as I said, I, I don't really, I can't, I'm not really in a position to comment, um, but an opinion-wise, I'd say it'd be very difficult. Yeah. Uh, before we wrap up then, Andrew, uh, what can we what can we plug? Uh, what can we uh, promote? Uh, what does the promoter w- want to promote uh, at the end of this uh conversation oh, hey look you know look forward to seeing kiss at the end of 221 um there's a bunch of other tours we'll have between august and um which i'm just tidying up now and under the southern stars 220 which is now february march 221 with live bush stone temple pilots will be here 
Andrew McManus, it's uh, been a great chatting to you about wrestling and uh, hopefully uh, when this whole COVID-19 uh, stuff has hopefully moved on, we can get back to getting big bands out here to Australia and get the live music scene up and pumping again. Joel, it's been an absolute pleasure and uh, anytime. <laughs>